VUCA stands for Volatility, Uncertainty, Complexity, and, and Ambiguity. The antidote to it is vision, understanding, clarity, and then agility. Hey there, this is Bev, and I'm the host of People at Work Today. People at Work is a podcast that was created by Jostle, and Jostle is building an employee intranet that is helping leaders lead within their organizations and connect people to everything that matters at work. And so while we're thinking of building our intranet technology, we're also having conversations with people all around the world who are leading the way in understanding the experiences that people are having at work and what really contributes to making an incredible time for people during their workday. Today, my guest is Ebony Smith. Ebony is the founder of Ebony Smith & Associates, Inc., a boutique training and development firm specializing in volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, or VUCA, work environments. Ebony is a facilitator and consultant, a PCC coach, speaker, creator of internal coaches, and a leadership thought partner and strategist. Today, Ebony and I are going to explore leadership development in VUCA workplaces. Welcome, Ebony. It's wonderful to have you with us here on the show today. Hi, thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, I am too. And although I know that the whole concept of VUCA is a very big one, and we're Mm -hmm. not going to be able to get into every aspect of it today, um, we are going to explore a really important part of it in terms of what does leadership look like in those environments. So um, before we start, I'd love it if you could just expand a bit on the intro that I just uh, gave on you Mm -hmm. and your background, and why it is that you came to be interested in these particular uh, kinds of work environments. Okay, so a little bit about me. I would say if I was gonna describe myself and and boil it down to uh, two words, I would say I'm a career risk manager. So I started my career doing operational risk management inside the oil and gas industry. So a lot around operational safety, my master's degrees in uh, crisis incident response as it pertains to employee health and safety. I have an undergraduate degree in chemistry. So I did that for about seven years, responding to working in the oil fields, putting in pipelines, refineries. And then I switched over to the trading floor, uh, doing financial risk management trading around either either physical oil or financial derivatives for risk management purposes to hedge oil price. And so that's how I came to learn, you know, different parts of the world and what they produced. And lots of people were interested in that. And then five years ago, I switched over to focus more on people because I realized that was the key to everything that I'd ever done. And I would say today, I really specialize in transformational risk management for leaders, because regardless of the environment that you're in, we all have a set of skills that are needed beyond the you know, subject matter expertise skills that most of us have. We need to figure out how we can navigate spaces so that um, we are launching the strategy of our C-suite leaders. And so that's the work that I do today. How do we transform leaders to meet the goals of their C-suite? That's so interesting that you made that change from, um, you know, different types of work environments that were quite different. So from oil and gas to the the trading floor, which, uh, you know, the commonality obviously there is both of those environments incredibly volatile and complicated in and of themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then realizing that what sits beneath all of that is this additional complexity around the uncertainty of people Mm -hmm. and how people show up and how people behave and how you can actually help people to overcome um, difficult conditions or 
um, situations um, by giving them the skills to do that. So um, super interesting dimension. Uh, I'm really looking forward to digging into that with you today. So Thank you. Um, before we, we, we step into the realm of leadership development in, in VUCA workplaces. Perhaps we can just start with uh, a, a quick, um, if you could paint a quick picture for us of what does a VUCA workplace actually look and feel like? Okay, so it's one, everyone that I've ever worked in in 20 years before I stepped into transformational leadership development was a VUCA workplace. It was volatile, it was uncertain, it was complex, and it was amb ambiguous. There was a lot of ambiguity in how you're showing up at work. You know that you're there to do a skill um, and you're there to produce a product, but you're just not quite sure what the path looks like at the end of the day. It's very much like deciding you're gonna drive from you know, Calgary to Vancouver. You know you're gonna get on the highway, do you realize how many you know, animals you're gonna see along the way, if there's gonna be snow, if there's gonna be ice? You just know that if you start the path eventually, if you keep going, you're gonna to get to your destination. And that's what very much like for a lot of people who are working inside of these uncertain places, what it looks like for them. Um, when you're on a construction site, we have an idea, a guideline, we have safety plans, we tabletop. But in the end, you just don't know what's going to happen that day because there's a lot of complex factors that can play that can come into play as you're constructing something new. The same for working on the trading floor. I was on an oil and gas trading floor. So you just you never knew what customers or trading partners were going to come in. And you also didn't know what the marketplace was going to do or what the, your company's specific needs were going to have that day because maybe something changed operationally at one of the refineries or inside our pipeline system. So just understanding that you come in with a skill set and you learn how to play the cards that are being dealt to you at the at that moment. So is it fair to say that in the past nine or ten months <laughs> that every workplace is a VUCA workplace? Yep. <laughs> Six years ago, people were like, mm, sounds like, is that a business? I'd be like, yes, it is a business. Now everybody's like, you know, we need, I remember you said something about that VUCA. We should talk about that. I was like, oh, now you're interested. Now you're interested in developing your leaders from a VUCA perspective. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's exactly where we are. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that uh, your life has become uh, a lot busier in the last little while here. Um, so perhaps help me understand, um, as we're thinking about these VUCA work environments, mm -hmm. what sort of leaders do we need to be developing in order to help leaders thrive in those environments? So, and, and you know, I think there's a lot of different perspectives, but my perspective is, people need low risk uh, places to hone their skills. And because iron sharpens iron, they need time for reflection. They need to learn which skills are very specific to navigating a VUCA environment. So for everybody who you heard me say, VUCA stands for volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and, and ambiguity. The antidote to it is vision, understanding, clarity, and then agility, right? And so if you wanna switch your VUCA environment, those are the skills you have to plant and then nurture in all of the leaders who are working in, in those types of situations. And so there are so many examples of where leadership has failed us globally um, from a government level, from federal systems, from um, healthcare systems, from policies around immigration to you know transportation systems, 
regarding the airlines, the cruise lines, all of the things as we were kind of navigating this uh, space of figuring out how to live endemically, right? At the beginning, we were very much in a pandemic and now we're all navigating what does endemic look like for us as a global community? What does it look like for a global workforce as well? What does it look like for your local workforce? So all of those things, there's lots of case studies that we'll be able to go back and view um, and reflect upon. But in real time, it's really about what's the clarity of the goal that the vision that the leader's trying to get to? And does he have a certain number of clarity filters that will help him navigate the spaces? Does the leader have the ability to depolarize the thinking and the points of views that are in the room? Depolarization is a big skill, along with having trusted clarity filters. So it could be in a, a leadership team, it could be a, a trusted set of advisors, it could be strategic thought partners, um, things around understanding the ability to communicate and then also organize smart mobs are also skills that leaders need inside of a buka world. How do you use technology to mobilize the people around you so that you can get the common goal done? And so we see this very uh, executed very well by Generation Z. And so just in the way that they live their lives. So the, the older half of Generation Z is 14 to 24. They're very much digital natives. Anybody who's say like seven years old right now to, a, to the 14 mark, they're cross reality natives. They are very, they do a great job of integrating technology into how they meet up with their friends, how they're living their lives, how they talk to their parents, just kind of anything. And so some of the examples, uh, I'm American, so I'm gonna give you a few American examples. There was a rally for one of, during our presidential election cycle and our current president was running for reelection. He did his first rally right after our numbers went down in the United States. And the TikTokers decided that they were gonna send out messages that would disintegrate and collect all the tickets for the rally so that it was empty. And that was a TikTok smart mob movement that happened over technology. And these kids that were like 12 to 17 years old were collecting 20, 30 tickets each to these political rallies with no intention of going. It was just a thing. And that's how they kind of smart mob organize themselves. And when we think about all of any of the protests that we've seen that have happened around the world, starting from like say the Arab Spring into the protests we've seen in the United States, a lot of that happens on social media. The ability to organize people in a smart way using technology is a VUCA leadership skill, especially when people are kind of polarized around their political views or how they're showing up at work. There's a lot of nuanced things that come in a, a technology-abled knowledge economy that I don't think a lot of organizations and teams really think about how that plays into how leaders lead. You know, we entered the Twitterverse and just being able to get a, a clear statement out in 140 characters that will motivate and then also reassure the people that your audience is part of that VUCA leadership skill. There's a lot of nuance inside of it when before I would say we hit this corona phase of our lives, most people wouldn't have given it the, the interest and magnitude that was needed. But now that we see what's happening, that's how in the very beginning, a lot of us got our news around what was happening as the pandemic began to spread. 
And so there's a lot of things that are happening inside the VUCA leadership development that I think organizations will have to drill down and begin to think about what it, it's more than a communication skill. How can you get clarity out in 140 characters? It's more than being able to motivate people. How can you organize people using technology so that they want to follow you? How can you internally create your own viral video or viral sentence campaign? Because those are the things that are happening in our non-work lives that will have to be utilized inside the workplace in order for companies to thrive. I know that was a long answer. So tell me what part you, you want me to go back to or... Yeah, so there's a few things that I wanted to just dig into a little bit more. So what does this mean for us as we're building future leaders? And the leaders of today may not necessarily be equipped to build or nurture or uh, mentor leaders who are of quite a different makeup, right? They're Mm -hmm. coming into the workforce. Like you're talking about those 7 to 14-year-olds who are in 10, 20 years are going to be the ones who are in the workforce in big numbers. Um, How are we going to help them be, you know, completely who they are and thrive as leaders in workplaces if the infrastructure currently does not support them to do that? So what should leaders be thinking about now for the future generation of workers? Um, I think the training has to shift for the people that are currently in the workplace because there's no going back to this non- version of not having this VUCA skill. And it's very much like learning a new system or program or downloading a new app. And that's the way we have to view it. Learning has to be a part of everyday life in order for leaders to really step into their authentic leadership style. And so these are skills that can be learned. It's not like it's a foreign one. I just think it comes naturally because they are inside of the space where um, Generation Z is inside the space where they can just easily pick it up like a sponge. For those of us where this technology isn't available, we learn it. We, we stop watching you know, Netflix and we spend 20 to 30 minutes every day gathering new skills around how we can really begin to show up in this, um, in, the, in the environment that we're currently in so that we can engage um, and enhance the things that are looking to get done by our company. And it's not, these aren't hard skills. They're just skills that have to be reframed in a way that makes it uh, attainable for more people. And so if anybody's in the military or they worked in, you know, in volatile workplace environments like I've come from, these are skills that you kind of um, get tangentially, but what I'm looking to do is make this an explicit skill set that companies are training for, right? And so it's much different than learning how to communicate and storytell for influence. It's how can you be so clear that you can also create followers, but you do it in such a succinct way that it's in 140 characters. And those are the skill sets that go a little bit deeper than the typical communication or learning how to speak in front of group skills that I learned how to do in the beginning of my corporate career. I think it just hones it down and sharpens um, the skill a little bit more. And it can happen that the largest um, group that's in the workplace right now is millennials. And I think millennials were just on the edge of um, Generation Z. So a lot of them do have it, fortunately. But there are others who may be older millennials or Generation X that may need to really begin to take a look at what their skill set looks like. Yeah, and related to that, you referred to mobilizing around getting people to take action. And mm-hmm. so is is that skill 
really the new form of teamwork and team leadership is getting people mobilized, actually, how we need to be thinking about teams right now. I think so, especially in the remote environment, right? So, so many people are synchronous and asynchronous at different times. When you're all collectively going into an office or one work environment, um, it makes it easy because there's core work hours and you know you're going to see everyone. But in the age of homeschooling and essential workers uh, and people working remote, I think your leader's ability to mobilize you for collaboration uh, in an asynchronous environment also becomes really important as well. Some tech companies were already asynchronous prior to uh, before COVID, and they did a really good job of figuring out what that infrastructure looks like for them. As more people had to adapt in about a two-week time period, what normally would take three years, I think they, there's a lot of stumbling and learning how to walk and what a remote, collaborative, asynchronous work environment for teams begins to look like for them. And, you know, it isn't, I don't think it's going to be a hard uh, runway, but I think people need to recognize that it is a runway. Um, And unlike other times where we may have needed to put, you know, a business continuity plan in place, there is a surge um, protection. Um, There's a surge capacity that lots of people need need to work on um, that's happening, um, where they're under continuous pressure, right? Um, because there's so much happening. Typically, if like a natural disaster happened in one part of the world, you could pass it off to your global colleagues or people in another city. And it's something that's just happening for a short period of time with the current, um, endemic that we're under it's global. There's no one to pass it to. Everybody in your city is in the same uh, environment that we're in. And so there's also a level of self-care that comes along with the teamwork and probably leaders facing more team members under crisis and at breaking points where they feel like they're fraying a little bit. And that's another skill. How do you create that empathy with your remote worker in an asynchronous environment and the level of understanding that you need so that you can keep your team member engaged, but also understand their humanity at the exact same time. And so that skill in the VUCA environment is called bioempathy. Are we developing enough bioempathy for the people that we're engaging with so that we can connect with them as humans and be authentic? Well, and that's just going to become ever more pressing uh, as remote and hybrid and, and uh, you know all sorts of different kinds of workplaces and workers um, evolve from this current situation that we're in. Um, so can you help me understand one part of this? So I, I think of individuals as people who are able to grow and, and enhance their skill, mm-hmm. but if you are personally committed to becoming more of a, a VUCA capable leader, mm-hmm. what happens if the organization that you're in is not open to change and adapting a VUCA type of environment? Like, what do you do in that circumstance? I think you develop yourself. So I always tell my clients as a coach, you should have your learning and development plan that your that your organization creates, and then you should have one that you're always working on that has a three to five year outlook for yourself. In many cases, you have to build your own accelerator. And so if you realize that there's enough signals out there telling you that this is a skill set you need to begin to look into and to develop, get ahead of where your company is and develop yourself. 
there's a lot of stuff available on Google and a lot of freemium sources, whether you're using Coursera or whatever local platforms you have available to you so that you can begin to putting it to put in a learning and development plan for yourself. And this is where audiobooks and podcasts and lots of other things come into play to developing a great learning and development program for you. Like you, if you, if you recognize the gap and you're trying to make a case for your company, the company doesn't uh, buy into it, then that's the time where you have to step into the cap, the gap and own that, um, that action cycle for yourself. And when the company catches up, you will then become the expert in the room. And that's your next opportunity to move forward in your career. Yeah, and I think that in this current environment, we've had leaders having to show up in ways that um, are actually in alignment with your alternative VUCA definition, right? They, mm-hmm. they might not realize it, but, um, you know, they've been acting with with vision and clarity and agility and understanding. I have those mixed up in the order, but Doesn't matter. Um, it's been interesting to me to observe how people in my own organization have responded to the, the global crisis and the things that maybe they didn't really present as leaders suddenly came to the fore. Mm-hmm. So ha- have you seen sort of the natural organic growth of people as VUCA leaders? Or do you think it's something that you have to be very intentional about? So I think for some people, it's a a natural skill set that comes for the the job that they have. And for others, uh, it's something that will have to be explicitly put on their roadmap towards development. And so I really think it's job and environment dependent, right? So if you have to learn how to be resourceful regularly, or maybe as a child, you were because of the living environments that you had, resourcefulness was a part of the skills that your parents needed you to have. Maybe you lived in an area that was rural and you had a lot of tough weather that was, you get snowed in quite frequently. Resourcefulness comes with that. And that's something that you get your parents incubated into your life. If that's not a part of what was incubated into your life, then it becomes a very explicit skill set that has to be brought forward. I will tell you, for some of my clients and uh, other people on our team that we've worked with because we focus on this quite a bit, um, it's interesting to see how my clients have been offered promotions during the COVID cycle and how a lot of them have turned them down. They're like, oh yeah. They're like, you seem to know what's going on. I do, and I'm still not ready. I'm not ready to leave my team. Like there's an opportunity to serve and play bigger. But for some of them, they're like, I am keeping the wheels on with homeschooling, health, managing my sandwich generation responsibilities with my parents and my children. I can't take on a bigger job inside my company. And so I'm going to say no now. And I think before maybe their organizations didn't think these skills had the importance that they had, um, I would say two years ago, but now to see these people really begin to shine in a crisis moment is where now the spotlight's on them. And their organizations are asking, well, what do you want to do? We'd like to have you do more. And they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy here. Like I, I'm serving in a great capacity. I feel that I'm guiding a solid part of our, my, my team um, and I don't want to move forward. And then for others, they're like, I want the promotion. Yes, move me forward. This has been a great time for me to move into another cycle of my career. So I think a lot of it really also depends on the life cycle of the leader and where they are and what they feel comfortable doing. What I think the coronavirus has highlighted for many of us is the importance of work-life harmony and how much self-care we have built in. Because in the end, all we have is our health. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, th I think that as you know, that really underlies uh, the focus that many of us have taken as we've moved, you know, quickly into remote work and the the complexities that have come with that with meshing life and work together in a way that was not there before. Um, you know, that's good or bad. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. People have different experiences. But, um, you know, ultimately, I, I feel like we need to be putting individual wellness at the forefront of everything that we do as organizations. And um, especially in these VUCA environments where uh, it's up and down and there's uncertainty and there's, there's a lot that's affecting people on an individual, personal, um, emotional level. And yeah. I, I feel grateful for what the pandemic has given us in, in that respect, mm -hmm. um, because I feel like there is a, a more human centric approach to employees and to crafting workplace cultures that are more open and as you said earlier bioempathetic around well how are people actually doing on an individual level not as a group of employees yeah um, so you know I, I really am I, I I love hearing you you talk about the the wellness piece because really as either as an individual or as an organization um, if people are not well the organization will not be well Correct. The first thing I ask my clients to do before we get into any leadership development training, whether it's VUCA training or other things that we may be working on, is to make a 5% um, methodology shift. And so that's investing 5% of your day into yourself. Wellness and mindfulness is like hygiene. The shower you took yesterday does not work for you today. And so if you don't make a daily investment inside your own mindfulness and wellness well-being, then it becomes impossible for you to help others. And so the 5% I typically ask them to start with is 72 minutes. There's 1,440 minutes in one day. If they give themselves 72 minutes of their day outside of hygiene and nourishment um, to focus on their own well-being, then that, that helps them be able to externalize their leadership qualities and help others inside their ecosystems. And so really, you know, the easiest way that I break it down for them is 30 minutes in the morning. Mindfulness could be a run, could be a quick workout, could be journaling, could be a meditation, could be a color walk, could be tree bathing by walking through the forest. Whatever works for you could be coloring. Um, try that for about 30 minutes to invest in yourself. And you can do multiple activities in that 30 minute block. Then a 15 minute check-in midday, some other activity that you enjoy. And then at the end of the day, figure out what does a wind down mindfulness activity look like for you? Is it soaking in a bath? Is it taking a hot shower? Is it going for a long walk with your dog or with your kids and just having that moment to decompress and let go? If you start off with 72 minutes, it becomes much easier to build yourself up to two hours, three hours of your day, which a lot of people will be like, well, that's a lot. I don't have that kind of time. And I would say you do. What you do is you cut out a lot of the things that distract you and you then become much more intentional in how you're living your life. A great life is just a string of amazing days put together. And so we're leading with the intention of to, I'm going to make today a great day by investing at least, you know, 75 minutes of my day into me. That's not a lot. <laughs> it really isn't. It sounds like a lot, but it's not a lot that, to ask for. Well, especially if you are prepared to give up some of your social media time and your, your aimless rambling through Netflix trying to find a movie, if you're me. 
<laughs> or cat videos or cooking videos for me. I'm like, I can't watch another cooking video. I'm like, I've been watching these videos for a half an hour. The gamification of social. So yeah, if you can just take some of that time and just decide that you're going to invest in yourself, it become you become a, a, a more well human being. And that in the end, that's all we want. Like you want to be able to sleep eight hours you know, feel like you're enjoying your meals, not feel like you're always on the edge and that you have the time to, um, to spend on doing the activities and investing in the people that we all care about in our networks. So I love the concept that you just shared around the 72 minutes. And I think that, again, we, we hear are talking about individual versus organizational capabilities, right? Mm -hmm. um, so as individuals, we could each focus on carving out that time in the ways that you've outlined as suggestions. Mm -hmm. But what about organizations? How can they be creating space for people to have that me time and that wellness time, if you will, um, even in the work day and, and in the work environment? I would say to you, one of the, th so I'm a part of a, a think tank and one of the things that came out is that we undervalued spare capacity in our organizations. So many teams are designed at the employee working at 120%. That under surge capacity, you, fit, you realize the fragility of your team structures and how so many things are slipping through the cracks. And so, you know, if you look at some of the most successful tech company, they give their employees one free day a week. I bet you when we look at how Google reports out, there's a lot of things they don't do well but there's a lot of things they do extremely well and having the ability to explore and having free time to nurture ideas at Google is a part of the culture. Like they have that free time built into how they design an FTE. And so one of the things before COVID that was really undervalued was spare capacity. And one of the things that will be valued more coming out of this as we do after action reviews is do we have enough spare capacity in each one of our positions so that they have surge capacity um, when we need it? And that is not what was typical of working in large organizations. People did not fund spare capacity because they wanted people to work at 110, 120%. And now I think there, there should be a little bit more focus of which job should really be done at 80%, which should be done at 90% because we're going to need that extra capacity from that job so in case things begin to happen um, most people didn't plan for their business continuity plans to go for more than a month or two and so now that we're in um, we're working on month 10 um, I think that it's going to be designed a little bit differently inside organizations or they should if they want to thrive in, in the new economy that's uh, developing from this so I'm curious just hearing you talk about spare capacity converting into surge capacity is, is that similar to taking a people first versus a profit first approach in an organization? I think in the right organization, it's the exact same thing. Because if your people have time to think and explore new ideas inside their jobs, you'll get your next product that'll be developed that'll get you to the profits that you're looking for. It, when you don't have people problems, you generally don't have profit problems. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of organizations miss, that if you take care of your people, they'll take care of your customers, and then you, that will take care of your profits. And so when people have more time in their jobs, they can listen to their customer stories, they can iterate and redesign 
on some of the things that are happening inside the organizations and build in more efficiencies and begin to think about you know, how can we make this better for our end user? How can we make this better for our internal customers? And a lot of organizations aren't built with thinking time. Spare, we're saying spare capacity, but it really is thinking time, time to collaborate, time to really begin to dig in and look at what does integration really look like without it being rushed on a, on a short timeline. And so there's a lot of things that can be done with what we're kind of broadly labeling spare capacity, but it's the ability to let your team think and then action the thoughts that they're having so that it can then turn into a profitable process for uh, the company in itself. So yeah, that's how I would really, if we were digging a little bit deeper and talking about the nuance of the label of spare capacity, there's a lot of things that can be done inside the spare capacity space. Yeah, that's really encouraging to hear you you speak about that. And I think it is one component of the shift that we are seeing in organizations where we are focusing less on productivity and more on the output that people have that is considered and um, letting people choose what hours they want to work, when they want to work in a more um, individual centric fashion instead of having the sort of clock in clock out mentality so you know I, I think those things all add up to a, a very different way of building and managing and nurturing organizations and the cultures that live within those organizations are mm -hmm. an extension of that yeah so as we're closing here I, i've got a final question for you around what is your vision for the the optimal workplace that can navigate uh, a VUCA environment um, with ease? Hmm. My vision probably looks like people showing up as their authentic selves, contributing to a co towards a collective goal. And so I think when people have to put less energy into efforting and masking who they are so that they can fit into an organizational box, um, they then have less energy towards the common goal that the organization is looking to achieve. So when people can show up as, so the next version, the next iteration of VUCA is something called full spectrum thinking. And so when people move beyond the VUCA crisis problem solving and into a full spectrum environment, that means you can authentically show up as who you are and the organization accepts you and everybody's moving towards the same common goal. So that's the next phase of what it begins to look like is that you're moving into a full spectrum um, organization and everybody shows up as who they are, accepted, uh, celebrated, and moving towards that same common goal. And where do you think we are if we were to take a 30,000 foot view of, of the global um, you know, organizational economy? Um, are we like, 10% of the way to achieving that? Are we 50%? Like, what's, what's your feeling? Because what I find is that a lot of the time I speak to people who, like, we're part of the same choir, right? Like, we get it, we understand it, we're passionate about it, we believe it's the, it's the way forward. But that's not necessarily the full view of reality. Mm -hmm. So, in your opinion, you know, what is our potential to actually achieve that full spectrum thinking in, in, organizations around the world today? I think that we all have the ability to do it because I am optimistic. Um, I think that 
if we have another inflection point in our global economy, we'll all be forced into that full spectrum, just like we're all forced into VUCA right now. So the question is, would you like to lead the way or would you like to catch up? And that I think more people are playing catch up than we would like as a global society. And very few people are leading the way in this space. And so if we can shift that balance, then um, it becomes a much easier way for humanity to move forward um, as we look at global teams and economies and you know scales and supply systems, it be just becomes much easier for everyone. And so unfortunately not enough people are in the leading the way position uh, versus the catch up position. And so, yeah, I don't wanna give it a hard number cause it's gonna seem very pessimistic. I'm just gonna say not enough people are leading the way. <laughs> very much like how the coronavirus happened. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, I was thinking that, you know, to what you were saying about there is some people who are who are prepared and who are going to thrive through this type of change. Um, you know, there are those who are less prepared. And we've seen that play out. We've, mm -hmm. we've seen that in the companies that have shifted to remote work overnight, those people who or those organizations rather who were people centric, they were forward thinking, they were already creating these psychologically safe environments where people could be themselves and have conversation and solve these knotty problems together um, are the ones who are are landing on their feet, right? And, and in, in fact, they've just kept running. They haven't even really stopped. Mm -hmm. So if we would amplify that into, you know, more volatility in the world, um, you know, going forward, you have to be able to, to navigate through those uncertain conditions. Um, yeah. And that starts with taking care of your individual people and their wellness and building environments where people can thrive and want to be. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with you. It's not enough people leading the way. Um, I think that's really where we are. There should be more of us. We are a very thought-provoking collective inside of an, a knowledge economy we could be further ahead than we are right now. Well, I think there is lots of optimism still to be had, though. And, uh, you know, if nothing else, what a fascinating, interesting time to be living and observing and participating in the change that we're seeing. So thank you, Ebony. I, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of People at Work. It would mean a lot to us if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. The more reviews we get, the more people discover the podcast. Also, don't forget to subscribe to ensure that you don't miss an episode. You can do this wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can reach me at bev at jostle.me or find me on LinkedIn. Until next time, take care. Hey.